Welcome to the My Personal Football Coach Youth Soccer Player Development Podcast, episode 36 with Ed Graper. Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. This week we've got a fantastic guest for you. It's Ed Graper. Ed was, uh, until very recently, the technical director of the Aspire Academy uh, in Qatar. Uh, He also previously worked at Ajax. Um, He runs now Total Football Consultancy. Uh, Really interesting story for Ed, really. If if you don't know, uh, Qatar recently won the the Asia Cup, uh, really against all odds, beating Japan in the final. So uh, really amazing transformation uh, of the the football in Qatar um, really the Aspire Academy if you don't know this is one of the most state-of-the-art facility in the world's football um, the, the uh, Aspire Academy has really been pivotal to the changes and the improvement in football in Qatar so uh, really interesting episode this one uh, you know I'm really interested in that sort of those sorts of stories you know structured environments you know supporting and developing creative players uh, and uh, this one really is is uh, not to be missed. So lots of gold and, and great knowledge from Ed. So uh, this one I'm sure you're going to enjoy. Uh, been a busy few weeks for me as always. Been travelling around, um, filming lots of sessions for for the Coaches Pass. If you don't know, the Coaches Pass is an online resort on the uh, on the website, the My Personal Football Coach website. It contains hundreds of uh, practices like ball mastery exercises, one v one skills. How to volley, how to shoot, tutorials, but also now we're adding weekly sessions. So uh, sometimes weekly video sessions of myself, or sometimes from academies from all around the world. We've got academy sessions from Dynamo Zagreb, Wolves, uh, many many different academies. So uh, if you can do, check it out. It's a seven day back money back guarantee, so you can try it if you don't like it. No questions asked, uh, money back guarantee. Uh, loads happening as well. Really excited to be getting more and more clubs on board with the My Personal Football Coach Club Partnership. It's a really unique uh, club partnership, really, nothing like it in the world. Uh, supporting player development. All the players get on the app, the Dynamic Ball Mastery app, uh, the world's leading technical uh, ball mastery app, and the, all the coaches get the coaches pass. Uh, you know, lots of, lots, of, lots of many little different things uh, involved in that. So if you're part of a club and you're interested in, in supporting your players and your coaches and taking everyone to the next level, just drop me a line. But uh, without further ado, let's get into the show. Okay, so Ed Graypark, thank, welcome yeah. to the show. Yeah, nice, nice to meet you. Uh, can you give us a, a brief description of your, your playing and coaching background, please? Well, although it's a, it's a long time ago, as my age is uh, 57 years now, but I started uh, as a little boy and uh, to play football as everyone. Uh, some clubs I uh, professionally uh, was in the youth academy was Finance Rotterdam and uh, Excelsior Rotterdam. I uh, never brought it up to the first team, but I played on a decent uh, high level on the third division. And after that, uh, I chose to go to the sports university and to, to go into coaching quite early in my, my stage of life. So that's a little bit uh, the background as a player. I was a midfield player, uh, creative, scoring midfield player. Um, that's probably why I always have also the prefer- preference for this kind of players. Okay, and, what about, um, and then your coaching experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, the coaching experience, uh, okay, uh, after the sports university, I directly went to coaching from uh, like the under sevens, under eights, on amateur level, then on professional level, clubs I worked for as uh, Excelsior Rotterdam, as an under, uh, under 21 coach, uh, I worked at Ajax Amsterdam for under 14. I was uh, then working for a satellite club uh, uh, called Highland for Ajax as an academy director, uh, assistant first team, second team under 19s and 14s. Um, then in 2008, I uh, moved to Qatar. I had a proposition for Aspire Academy, and they asked me to build the, the basic structure uh, for the Aspire Academy to. Uh, to build play uh, to build elite players for, for football. By then, in 2008, there was still no World Cup uh, thing in, uh, in in thing. But in 2010, uh, when Qatar won the the bid to host the, the World Cup in 2022, the the whole uh, focus and organization to change quite quite rapidly. And then the aim is uh, to uh, develop players to play the World Cup in 2022. So I did that for uh, nine years. So I moved in 2017 back to Holland uh, because after nine years as far as getting out, I thought it was time for a new, new challenge and new things and also to go back. Then I started uh, my own football consultancy. I worked for one year with a Turkish club, uh, Altunordu, which is the best Turkish youth development club in, in Turkey with a lot of players uh, internationally working, like Sakla uh, Under for AC Roma. Um, worked there one year and now actually at the moment I'm working in FC Lugano to, to, to help the club to build to an elite level. Um, but more than that, I came back to, uh, to Europe and asked myself the question, what kind of things I still wanted to develop in, in youth uh, development? As uh, I'm an academy director of pro license level in UEFA A coaching license, but as an academy academy director, every year you ask yourself the things we did were the right things, yes or no. Uh, and in Qatar, I met uh, Michel Brownings, which is uh, is an, a, a more scientific way of of looking to football uh, with brain central learning and uh, coaching training and sensible. So. Uh, we started cooperating and now we work together on big projects all over the world to to get rid of the conservative way of thinking in football. Uh, and it's a very hard job because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to get people out of the comfort zone and to let them realize that what we do is uh, not really on the target of developing young players. So at the moment I'm doing that, working with Michel on big projects which is great and uh, no, still, still learning every day. That, that's the, the biggest secret. Very interesting. So let's start then um, at, with your work with uh, the Aspire Academy in Qatar. Just obviously, they, they, if people, people don't know, the Qatar won the Asia Cup recently. Uh, one of, really surprising, I think, one of the, not one of the, fa the favourites. But I saw a figure the other day that said two-thirds of the Qatari squad grew up together as scholars at the Aspire Academy. So, I mean, yeah, that, that, that must have made you very proud. Yeah, of course. I had a lot of reactions and then people said, ah, you don't, you're not sorry that you're not there, there anymore. But, you know, at the end, you, you're going to 
to new projects and it's a long time nine years there but uh, it's true it's the kids who came through the pipeline I, I uh, designed with a lot of other coaches in Aspire Academy you know and uh, I remember in 2008 the first question was from the Aspire Academy to me we want you to enlarge the base of uh, potential players for the national team what's your uh, what's your idea so based on that I did my recruitment uh, uh, conversation with them and I, I I give them some examples what my idea was how to do we did well at that and most of the players are coming out of that system so that's uh, yeah proud but not only me we worked of course with a lot of people to develop this and uh, you know it's also the you have to to give credits to the Qataris which are were very stable in you know not to get influenced by all kind of streams because if you work in a big project like this, everybody knows it better and you want to change like this. So to, to keep one way of working is very difficult, but um, you, you know, in life you will not get too many chances to work on a big project like this. Uh, and, and it's a very interesting one. And in uh, new future projects, you take all this experience with you. Interesting, so I mean, so, the I, the Qatari the Aspire Academy is sponsored by the Qatari government, right? So yeah, right? just to give you a little example, uh, you know, uh, Qatar in 2006 mainly they start building the country and they built Aspire Academy. So okay, they want to build elite football players. So if you're in a country with let's say 300 Qataris. Um, you know, you have to bring all your best players or potential best players together to train. So, because of the power of the government, you know, all what we did is all the best players from all the clubs, like 14 professional clubs, eh, and then depending on big and small clubs, we selected, we scouted in all age groups the best players, and we brought them every day to Aspire. So, the best with the best trained every day, from under five, Till under 19. Wow, it's quite a weird situation as a club because you have to realize if you're a coach at the, at the club that during the week you don't have your players. They're in the Spire Academy, and in the weekend they come back and they play for you. Uh, but okay, the government and, and, and the big bosses in Qatar decided that that was the best way to build something. And what we did is. If the money is no limitation, you can have a lot of things in your academy as well. So uh, during the week when they were with us, we invited all big teams from all over the world to play against our boys in all age groups. So they still had the experience. So at the end, the experience in the club was for them their, their development not so big and sometimes even worse because the motivation was very low. Uh, if you're in a higher performance environment uh, all week and you go to a, a grassroots environment in the weekend and you play in the in, during the week you play teams as Barcelona, Ajax uh, or uh, what, all the clubs from the, with the big names you get the experience or go on tournaments so that's how we really uh, build, build the structure uh, by uh, in increasing the training hours because that's the most uh, important one without hours of practice you cannot improve and uh, if there's no limitation on the organization you can put around these players then uh, that is quite interesting 
Well, I mean, that's I mean that's what really interests me because about this project because you have Qatar with a relatively small um, population, and uh, yeah. you know I think it's five million or something compared to Japan, hundred and thirty million odd who they played in the final, and obviously yeah. you know and you you're you're setting up a very structured environment where often I think um, people. You know, there's a big debate at the moment. I mean, for me, you see, in England, we've had a lot of success recently in our structured environment, so it can, can be a really positive environment. And you've had a lot of success with a relatively yeah. relatively small talent pool. So, really, so let's just, so, so, so winding back a bit then, I mean, you go into the Aspire Academy, uh, you've, got, you've got this almost blank slate. What were the first things you, you, you talked about, the recruitment strategy, for instance? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that, yeah. how that worked. You're talking about under fives all the way up to under 19s coming yeah, in. So, so if, you, if you look to the overall uh, amount of football players in 2018, Qatar was around, with all the clubs, maybe 1,500 uh, football players in all age groups. So it's quite easy uh, counting that you have to increase that. And, uh, so what, what I did, I designed... Uh, a talent center model where we uh, all my coaches every day visit schools in Qatar to uh, spot the local boys born in Qatar or Qatari uh, to see if they have some potential. Uh, by then, if you're five years old, you're not a football player, you're just a little kid who likes to play football and it was up to us to see their potential. So we put them in different uh, talent centers, so we visit around 120 schools a year very uh, on, on a full-time basis and my coaches every morning went there to uh, to see which kind of children were uh, fitting our profile to, to go to the stand centers where they in the first uh, understand just enjoy football my idea was if they like football then it's already a big thing and from there we try to select the, the elite players to go to a centralized uh, training center, and that was the Aspire Academy, uh, to train already uh, three to five times a week. And so, 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 so when they are five, six years old, they train already three times a week, and when they're uh, eight years old, they go to uh, five times a week. Wow! So, you, so you're you're getting the eight, eight and nine year old, eight nine year olds to five times a week. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. But you know that, but the, the, the point is always that people are saying, hey, you cannot do this, but uh, I want to challenge all these people in the world because it's a matter of what you can do in these five times. Yeah. You know, I, I know, I don't know if you've ever been in Aspire Academy, but uh, you know, it's it's the biggest uh, and, and best football academy in the world with all facilities. So, you know, for example, we had on Monday, they did like 40 minutes of futsal combined with gymnastics. Or with judo, uh, or, or with jiu-jitsu, uh, or other things. Uh, so we we work like the total human being principle. Like we don't only want to develop the, the, the children as a football player, but also as a human being on on motor skills. It's because we had to. If you put too much emphasis on only the skills, it's a very one-sided way of education, and you will never achieve. No, you have to putting all the efforts and all the different things to do when they're very early to, to grow the flowers at the end of when they're 19 or when they go to the Asian Cup, for example, uh, last month. Yeah, interesting. So it's a, it's a long-term project. I mean, yeah, I mean, from my point, I've, I worked at Chelsea and, uh, and Tottenham for, t for 10 years. I mean, for me, if we could have had those boys in five days a week would be uh, yeah. 
fantastic the thought of that i mean you're very fortunate i suppose but yeah, yeah just to understand that uh, before they were 12 they were like they were uh, three to five times a week uh, with us and when they were 12 even then they changed the school to to our school and we had them every day and we trained 10 times a week from under 12 to uh, so in the morning they train they go to school in the evening they train and then they go home Interesting. Or if they wanted to, they could sleep on the academy because everybody had his own uh, his own room. So, for instance, how many how many players would you have in an under nine, for instance? Uh, well, that's an interesting one. I tried uh, different strategies. Like uh, you can understand in the pyramids, you don't want to close down too early because it's so difficult to predict if somebody uh, will will go there or not. Uh, I had a lot of fights or not fights but uh, really good discussions with all the management and coaches to change our way of thinking because uh, most of the and still now coaches think in a performance way and I would you know we changed it to think in a potential way and the potential to, to understand the potential of a player is uh, much more difficult than the performance and the performance is not the right uh, parameter to, to judge so uh, yeah that, that was uh, one of the most uh, important things to change it and not to make it uh, football for Aspire was not a collective thing no, we uh, educate football players not teams and that's a big difference and if you live that life every day as a manager it's very hard to convince your coaches every day that they have to live by that phrase we educate educate players not teams so but, but to give us, a, give us an example then of how many players you have for each age for, for instance in the nines and then the 12s and then the 15s yeah have... so like uh, for, for uh, uh, you have to understand it's a small country so we took we did, did different ways with the younger ones we took like two three groups of uh, 20 like ABC we had the elite players we had the potential players and we had some tractor we call the tractor players like we see something so we give them a chance a few times a week we had the, at the end you know you emphasize on so many players that if you don't watch out you don't put enough work in your potential players yeah uh, because we all believe coaches and football enthusiastic that we can change somebody to a good player but there's some there's always limitation on that so after that I changed it to 20 players for each group but we had very big scouting departments with around 35 people who are daily at the football clubs in Qatar to see if there was some potential place so every time there was uh, they were invited to to have like a training week to see if they can uh, they could add something to, to the level of Aspire. So it was not like a fixed group, but was, our power was the, the, the dynamics of the group that was always changing. And in a country where you you know, you're the decision maker, it's easy to organize. And that's for other clubs. In, in Europe, it's not possible. You know, you start with plays at the beginning of the season and you have to, that's it. But we could change every time, although we didn't change like uh, every three weeks we throw players out because educational wise that is, is not the right thing. But it was dynamic, it was always uh, looking for and, and evaluating players and uh, that was the start with the young age groups. 
so 20 players, uh, we call it, a, we had the talent centers, and then when they went under 8 or under 12, they went to the feeder groups, which all were 20 players uh, uh, and three goalkeepers, before we tried with bigger groups, but at the end, even in a big organization like us, we, uh, we changed that, because it was not, you know, the, 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 you have to understand in a small country, you can find some nice potentials, but the drop-off after 20, to a lower level is much higher than, for example, in, in Holland, where I come from, or in England, where the other 20 are still have a decent level. The less the less people you have, the drop off, the bigger the drop off. And then, so tell us a bit. Then you go in there. Tell us a little bit about your the methodology you set up, the technical and tactical and physical approach you implemented at the uh, the Aspire Academy. Yeah, especially uh, you know. Uh, I, I came from from Holland, where I worked at Ajax and, uh, and on different clubs. So, based on the Dutch way of training, you uh, set up your program. And later on, we uh, we had Spanish influences, where we all together we uh, tried to emphasize on what we did. First of all, I never been in an organization in my life where everybody was so documented as an inspired, you know, because. If you have so many people working there, uh, the loss of information is, is something you cannot have. So all the trainings were videoed, were uh, captured on files, were discussed in daily meetings. Um, so every time we set up a yearly planner with our goals and aims, based on uh, our experience from years before, it was dynamic. and. Uh, you know, if you know exactly how many minutes you train and what you did, uh, then you can uh, emphasize for uh, the next year on what you want to change or not. Uh, and in, in that system, you had an individual uh, player development plan for every single player from under 8 till under 19. Now, one thing I uh, realized when I did some research uh, about Qatar is that uh, the years before uh, Curva was very popular in, in Qatar in the Middle East and uh, all the local coaches were really uh, educated by that so a lot of individual skills with the ball and, and, and things but when we start working with our players we found out that uh, actually in the games they had poor, poor technical skills on the basics so that was a very uh, strange thing to, to experience, like, okay, you do many years for curve training, and then the execution in every game, on every level, technical execution, the simple things, is very bad. So that starts you realizing that you have something to do on a, on, on, on a different way. Um, and then, of course, you have to take in uh, consideration what is the culture in, in Qatar? How a boy from Qatar is different than somebody from England or from, from Holland? Uh, where can you touch them? How can you reach them? How can you educate them? Uh, first of all, we have to educate them to, you know, it's nice when we say, yeah, you have to train five times a week, ten times a week. But if you're in a, living in a, a country like Qatar and there's no never was to be in an environment where people were used to this, then, then you're also busy to convince everybody that uh, 
that that's the right way. Um, for me, the the really interesting thing, and that's why I start also working with Michel, Michel Brownings uh, now, and, and also in Inspire, we worked there for two years together. What we really dig in the question is, how are children, or how are people learning? Uh, because every year I was in my office, or in the big room with all the coaches doing a presentation at the end of the year. We did this, we did that, we achieved that, and then you make your planning for the next year. But the interesting question for all, and it, it's if you were in Qatar or in Ajax or wherever, in Chelsea or, or other clubs, is how do I know the things I'm going to do are the right things for these players? And basically, uh, I realized that it was many times it's based on nothing. It, it's we just do exercises. Okay, we do possession games, 300 hours. We do structured games. We do uh, final thirds, finishing, defending, whatever. But we that that's also from a performance uh, perspective looking at it. And then I think really in how are, are people learning? Then that's why we develop the way with with quantity training, which is the brain central learning uh, exercises and uh, and the sensor, which are were really helping us to you know at least to. Uh, to get children ready to learn, because if, if first question, I go with you this afternoon to a training, and are you sure your boys are ready to and open to learn? Uh, and uh, we call this cognitive readiness. Well, I can tell you, 99% of the children are going to a training. They're not. The cognitive readiness is low, so they don't learn anything. So we had to emphasize. Ex uh, for example, in Qatar, on the young age groups, uh, it was the most difficult one to, to achieve the cognitive readiness to, to, to be ready to learn. So tell us a little bit about that then. I mean, you'll talk about the cognitive readiness. Look, go in a bit more detail about what that looks like, how you get them ready, and also then talk about the sensible, how that works as well. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the sensible. Yeah, I know the sensible because I know a lot of the, guy, the boys in, uh, see the uh, Belgian Academy boys use them a lot on tour, the ball on the, uh, on the string, right? Yeah, yeah, Genk. Yeah. Genk is yeah. one of our clubs we're working with. Yeah, and I get, yeah. we, have, we have big uh, big achievements with that. But, you know, uh, okay, I don't, I don't want to make it too scientific, but uh, if, if we talk about football, and we, we sit together, we first have to ask a question, so all the actions your players are making, where is it starting from? It's from the brain. No, it's not from the muscles. You know, I had a discussion last week with a coach. He said, yeah, you know, I do this crosses for uh, 20 minutes and then I want my strikers to have uh, muscle memory in finishing. They ask him, muscle memory? What's, what's muscle memory? He said, yeah, that they recognize how to kick and how to choose the, the you know, the decision. But that, that's a joke, you know, there, there's no muscle memory. The muscle is very stupid. If, if uh, the nerves don't send the signals to the, the muscles, there's nothing happening. If you cut down the nerves, uh, everything starts from the brain. So, you know, we call it recognized prime decision making. If you don't work with your players on that, you know, we just putting some water in a kettle on the fire without ingredients and we think the soup is nice. 
So that that's a thing still we have to develop. So we start when we had the Qatari boys in the academy. You know, you can't imagine it. You have to understand they come from a different culture. They have everything. You know, they have the mates. So we had to find a way to to get them. You know, cognitive readiness. So I so we use the sense ball, which in the beginning really I I tell you to work with it. After 12, we counted and we measured it. After 12 seconds, they lost their concentration. So imagine, as a coach, you set up your training and you have players who are losing their concentration after 12 seconds. So we start building that. 12 seconds, 20 seconds, next month, half a minute. And really what they learned from that is that the sense ball is such an, uh, a great tool that they learned how to switch on and off their cognitive readiness. As you know, you cannot be concentrated for three hours uh, to learn, but by using the tools and our exercises also with the coaching training, they learned how to switch on and off. And uh, that's where they start learning and were more more open and ready to, to, to achieve information and really to put it in mind. So the idea is that they focus on the touch of the sense ball and then that then focuses their, their learning readiness. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, at the end it's also two-footed, yeah? so you have to play with both feet. Yeah. Uh, feet, sorry. Uh, but also, you know, the, 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 the sense ball is a metronome, and all, everything we do in our brain is, is, is uh, directed by the metronome, and the synchronization, you know, uh, we don't realize it, but at the end you want your brain to understand what is happening and we call this system one and system two now system one is very easy i play the ball to you you play the ball to me but at the end you want players who are uh, um, are more intelligent i I'm also in qatar you know i, I have coaches next to me on the bench and say listen this player is, is they were always uh, practicing like very predictable always the same things and then during the match he told me yeah listen this this player is not creative is not uh, decision but you, you learned it like this so you know that's a very funny and interesting thing uh, we are the ones who learn the player the things they are doing uh, now system two in our head is a very interesting one you know if i ask you one plus one you will immediately say that's two but that's not the interesting thing in football. You're more interested in when I ask you 23 minus 4 plus 6 uh, minus 8 and plus 4. How much is that? You cannot really uh, directly tell me. Now, we uh, developed uh, practice exercises where you were training system 2. And in game-related situations, the players recognize, well, because it was put in the brain, directly uh, those kind of things. Yeah, so, so, now, so what would, what would, so, what would, what would be so, the difference? Yeah, so, so the exercise with the, the normal exercise is much different, you know. We started with the cross, you know, triangles, and uh, there are some basic principles in our organization who always will come back. Uh, and uh, so, so, for example, um, the, 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 one of the things, the didactical levers of our training programs are always synchronization, cognitive readiness, bilaterality, executive functioning, memorizing, categorizing, associating, 
you know, movement angle timing, and we, 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 we call this MAT, space awareness, working with autonomous learning. So this all based on how, how we are, 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 are as human beings, are, are learning. And uh, this kind of things were really put to place to, uh, by Michel. Um, you know, and uh, even in, 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 in education, we found out by working like this with our boys that they also had uh, better results in school, which the parents really liked. Because they learned how to organize everything in their head. It's not only for football, it's, it's also for who you are as a person. So then, so for instance, so you, what you're describing there is that the players have to go through certain patterns with the sensible yeah. different combinations, for instance, and different Yeah, well, that's movements. sensible. In coaching training, we do all kind of uh, structured games, passing games, but also based on our learning principles will always have to be in there. Like, you know, okay, we realize, we call this like we have a player in system one and system two. Now, the player in system one, we always think this player is very physical. He's strongly uh, verticalized, so one-sided. You do a lot of running with the ball. Many individual actions. Uh, he has difficulty to master time and space. And he plays long passes to plays in fixed positions. Well, that was, that's another type of game which was really uh, on Qatari's uh, profile. So we thought, okay, we want players from system two who first think and then act to anticipate the soccer. So that means you go for more team play, consistent uh, changes of positions, fast passing, variable tactical patterns, high team concentration, transitions, more creativeness, better mastering of time and space, and a mutual respect. So. So it's a different way of, uh, of looking to, to, to football. Um, and as you see, the national team now is really playing like this. They're not playing uh, like a long ball football. I don't know if you saw some matches, but you know, there's really a football which is based on their culture, which is, uh, so, so that, that's a good thing. Um, um, so, so playing devil's advocate, Ed, here, what about, what, yeah. what, what's the difference between using a, a sense ball and then me just doing kick-ups with a normal football one, not on a string? Uh, in one minute, uh, 120 more touches. Okay. I mean, but so then... They more, would then on the, it... on the 20 more times uh, uh, signals to the brain about something which is wrong or right. But then I suppose the other argument would be maybe that how realistic are those touches if the ball's on the string coming back every time? And how much realistic is it when it doesn't make sense that the kicking the ball is from A to B and B to A? So you know, it's it's a matter of uh, you know the, the sense ball. But then I have to really go in in, in deep in what it, it's doing. Is not only the touches. Yeah. Like I was saying, you yeah. know, it's it's a cognitive readiness yeah. which emphasizes. It's a synchronization which is a very. Uh, big tool in our learning uh, learning uh, uh, way of learning but it's also the mental commitment to do it um, and to develop the executive functions okay so cool. and also the guy to autonomous learning yeah, because a lot of those things are happening at home if you have a football players who are really only coming to your training and want to improve 
and I can tell you, forget it, you will never be an elite player. I mean, yeah, I know those guys at Genk, I know the guys quite well at Genk, and, and they, they've got a very technical program there as well, so that obviously ties in really well with them, but let's go Let's go back into go back to Qatar and Aspire, then just um, yeah. tell us a little bit about then, so, I mean, was your, I mean, obviously you talked about your time at Ajax, was, was their philosophy a really what important part of the, what you set up there in Inspire, Aspire? No, it's not possible to copy-paste an Ajax system in Qatar. You know, the starting point uh, is very dangerous to do that, or whatever, or a Barcelona system, or whatever, somewhere in but China. I, but I suppose you have to, you have to, you have, I mean, maybe an inspiration, what I mean. Obviously, you have to start somewhere, right? I mean, your background is obviously really important to where you arrived at that at that at that stage and obviously yeah, I mean, you, what, what interests me as well is that not just i have the, the dutch way of uh, developing players is obviously really successful uh, yeah. and also you export a lot of coaching coach uh, educators as well i know in america all over the world so i mean i'm just interested in, you know how come that's how come you know another, again a relatively small population um, export such quality in terms of players and coaches around the world yeah that's that is an interesting one that uh, when, when you're working in Holland you don't realize it but I, I worked more than 10 years uh, outside and still outside the country then you realize exactly the strengths and weakness of your own country you know the one of the biggest things our advantage is that Holland is a small country a small country but with a lot of people on a small area it means that, uh, and with a very uh, organized, uh, you know, uh, way of playing football from amateur level to, to uh, elite level, to professional clubs. Um, so that means for every children who wants to play football, there's a possibility in a little village or not. And I can tell you that the, the, the accommodations are really, you know, from the amateur clubs, uh, most of the time the same as the professional club. It's maybe uh, less pitches, but it's the same level. Um, so that's the advantage where the Dutch Association could really uh, organize a very structured way of competitions and age groups playing together or friendly matches. You don't have to travel much. Um, and then over the years, the, the, the Dutch, the KNVB, the Dutch Football Association, is a very powerful uh, organization in Dutch football. They have the power above the clubs. So that means all the ideas and the, the, the plans are coming from them and are, you know, influenced through the clubs and they follow. I know, for example, uh, in England, I don't think the FA has so much influence on, on the big clubs as like Chelsea and Manchester City. How to use the youth programs? No, not at all. You know, <laughs> they say, "What do you want?" Huh? Yeah, that's completely uh, so, right. in, in Holland, one of our, our powers is that uh, everything comes from the association, and they are really, uh, you know, the leaders from the, the grassroots football, which is a very you know, is a bigger organization than the, the pro organization. So, and that's where the players are coming from to the elite academies. So, it's a really, uh, you know, there's always discussions. People are talking with each other, and that's the role of the of the association. They bring the big clubs together to talk about developments. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the secrets. And then, of course, uh, with with our uh, philosophy of total football, and with the time that John Cruyff 
you know, brought in his ideas uh, that still our, 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 you know, our roots of football will, will always be like this. I mean, and also, I mean, for me, that I look at those those players that come out of Holland, all very technical, really technical and tactical players, obviously. But I've I've visited Ajax quite a few times over the last few years, and it's interesting actually. When I was there last time, I watched the under eights train, and the the coach actually said the same thing as you. He said, uh, "I'll have to check if whether the boys are ready to learn." And he because he did like started off with a game. He just said he just watched them see if they're ready to learn. But my point being anyway is that. Was it? I mean, was it your uh, aspiration to try and you know get those quality technical players that you, you get, you know, coming out of Holland so readily, who are really good and creative? You talked about creative midfielders earlier. You like those players, where you know Holland has such a prolific um, history of get, getting those sorts of players coming out into the pro game. Was it your ambition to get re- replicate that in Qatar? Well, well, you can do that, but uh, then suddenly you see that the, the level is uh, quite different, um, and that you know everything you have to, to understand. When uh, just to give you a little example, uh, when I went there, and you're still in your Ajax mood or in your Holland mood, and you're suddenly working with children uh, who don't don't have these great examples uh, to be as a professional player. For example, I, I remember uh, we organized big uh, football festivals, and then I thought it was a nice idea to bring uh, some players from the professional clubs in Qatar to, to be around and to look at the boys, which I thought, okay, they will really inspire them. And they came to the pitch, and then the, the young boys asked me, who is this? Is this also coach? And then I realized that the whole environment and the culture of football was not in place. So we had to work first on that. Uh, uh, you have to imagine that a young boy who go to Ajax, probably he saw already 300 games of, uh, of football on TV with his father or in the stadium. You know, and uh, by that they get influenced and already they know a lot of things about the game. In Qatar it was totally different. You know, they didn't, yeah. some boys didn't know anything about football. The only advantages that we could have them all every day and work with them. Uh, but it was so you influence it not only on the field, but it's more on the person, like to let them understand um, what it takes to be a professional player. And that's why, also at the end, when they were 16, we took them out of the country and eh? we brought some clubs in, in other countries to let our young players to grow. Akram yeah? Afif, which is really the star player of the national team, when he was uh, 16, he went to Spain to grow with Villarreal uh, and uh, later on we went to Eupen in Belgium so it was an individual pathway to, to let them see what it takes to be a professional player because in the country itself was not possible okay. and so you, you cannot compare uh, and even now I'm working in Switzerland it, it's different, I worked in Russia, I worked in Turkey uh, you know, it's you have to respect first the culture of where you work and not try to uh, bring your culture to to the country. That's that uh, end street will not work. But I mean, that's the other interesting thing. I mean, about culture. I mean, I know you know Tom Byer as I do. He talks about it a lot. Football culture at the early early ages. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, how it's quite an affluent society. I mean, how do you? I mean, was there a problem in culture in convincing the parents to actually? It was worthwhile these these young guys playing football and pursuing a footballing career. 
yeah, that, that was a hard thing, you know, to, to tell them, you know, that they had to come five times a week on an early age to, to, to come. That's why we put, when they were 12, we put the school there. So they, we had them already every day for school, so we could train them there. So that's, but every time our, our managers were, were local Qataris, we had to educate them to please bring them, to make them understand that only in that way we could reach a kind of level. because. You know, if you have everything when you are bored, then it's very difficult to to show them something they have to go for. Uh, I remember I, I had one time a boy, you know, who I thought, okay, you have to give more effort during training to achieve a higher level. Uh, he was 17, and I told him, listen, please, next time, listen more to the coach and do this. He's, and at the end of the conversation, he told me, okay, coach, I, I will try to do my best. And then he drove away in his family. You know? So, <laughs> huh? so I always tell this story to to show people how difficult it is and how much you have to go inside a player. And that has nothing to do with skills. You have to touch them, you have to let them believe. And, uh, and uh, this success in Qatar is a big, big step forward to, to grow. Because I mean, that also interests me because you almost went there with a, a blank slate to create a culture, yeah. if you like. But I mean, because I'm, I'm interested in that as well. I mean, we look at England, the way we've changed in the last the last development cycle. We're producing much more technical players. Teams playing more technical. A lot helped by the, F, the FA changing the way the youth teams play, but also the academies now produce a lot more technical players. I think football yeah. culture in England has definitely changed. What about, because I look at somewhere, for instance, like Sweden... Uh, you know, a, a, a population of 10 million and, you know, Scandinavia. Um, why maybe they, you know, countries like that don't produce technical players and not really technical culture, but con- contrasting with someone, for instance, like Holland or uh, Croatia, uh, where you know, there's, a, there's a real culture of footballing, you know, football, technical footballers. Why do you think there's such a disparity amongst these nations? I think that's exactly what I was telling, I tried to tell us, is the culture. No, it, it all bring, it starts from a culture of, uh, of where you live and who you want to be. You know, Dutch people are very adventurous. We like so also our football is you know based on that. You know, we are curious people. We like to uh, go on adventure. We, you know, even uh, in, in, in Ajax, for example, I know that the people when we get the championship at the end of the year. And it is with, uh, with with bad football, like not the technical Irish football. People are not happy, and when we end up second in the season, but it, the football is nice, everybody is uh, more happy. You know, so that's a strange way of looking to things. And uh, some other countries, it's only about the results. Uh, and even in the country itself, it can change by club by club culture. Um, uh, our advantages of the technical football, I believe that we have an uh, organized way of playing football from five years uh, till, till whatever age, for many, many years. I think in England, you know, the, the, the young age football is not such a long track, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not, a, it's not a department which is set up so for so many years in such an organized way. Yeah, and in England it's more when they are young, they play different sports and for example they can go to different academies to, to shop a little bit. Uh, I've been there, so one day I was in United, I saw some young players, next day I was in, 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 uh, in another club in, in Everton and they also did some training sessions. 
this is kind of things uh, will not uh, not happen in, in Holland very easily because it's, it's you know you go to a amateur club and then from there you go to yeah to, to a professional club and there's more uh, more structure I believe um, I'm happy to see in England that it's changing but I think they still have a long 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 way to go I still see the physical uh, physical uh, strong players uh, in, in, in the in the 16th and 17th but uh, it, it will come it will take a long way your most difficult thing is <laughs> that you need coaches who are able to do this kind of training sessions oh, so, uh, I, mean, so, I mean that's the um, thing you, you, you recognize that there's still in these countries, uh, an overemphasis on physicality rather than football intelligence on technique. No, or more even different is to say, our coach looking is he looking to performance or to potential? Right. Okay. Yes. You know, if, if you could play a match on Saturday, he comes and uh, talk and uh, ask you, so how did it go? And you said, yeah, we uh, win three zero. That's a performance idea. I'm not interested in the result. We're interested in the development of our players. So I want you to talk to me about which kind of players, you know, showed their progress or which one were struggling. And if, you know, all those talks about late and early developers, it, it's, it's nice and all those, yeah, yeah. You know, but you don't need. It's very simple to uh, to resolve this. Is to say as a club or as an organization, we educate football players, not teams. And then the whole issue of a late or early developer is gone because you will make a, a pathway for an early or a late developer because you look to him as a, as a, as a person. Yeah. But if you play a late developer, you put him in a team and you say, yeah, but he's not helping the team to win. Yeah. That's correct, then you have a problem. Understand? So individual player development is Exactly what in Holland is that we're not educating teams anymore, only individual players, and we use the team as a tool. Interesting. And before and, and, and before in England you get this kind of uh, believe me, I visit some clubs. I will not uh, tell you names and big clubs. Uh, no, it's still far away from this uh, this point of view. You know, and, and of course, if they're under 18, under 17, it starts, it's, it's all, yeah, the performance comes in before. That's our sequence in Holland, in Belgium. You know, we don't talk about the performance, we, we're talking about the potential. Interesting. So then, back to Aspire Academy. Just talk, how many coaches did you have there, working there in the uh, academy? <laughs> totally. Well, in the academy, on the total process, there were uh, around, uh, I believe, uh, more than 2,000 people working. Wow. But then, I mean, the school, we had our own hospital, you know, uh, but state-of-the-art, uh, Aspire, uh, Aspatar, with the bi bi biggest, uh, doctor, best doctors in the world to, to help. Uh, so, if... That's a, you know, it, it's a very big organization, and I, I think probably it's the biggest organization uh, for me at least I worked in. It's, it's also giving, uh, it's nice, but also giving you problems because when you have a lot of persons who are working in an organization, everybody wants to be important, the, the working lines are very long, 
and sometimes you need shorter lines, so that was always the fight. Well, that was that be my, my uh, next question, Ed. Sorry to interrupt there. Just so in terms yeah. of your the academy coaches, though, what what percentage yeah. what percentage of the academy coaches were Qatari and what percentage were foreigners? Uh, well, ninety nine percent were foreigners in the beginning. Yeah, and uh, we tried to educate uh, Qatari coaches. It was not so easy. Uh, well, you can you can call everybody coaches, but to put them on a level where we think, okay, there was adding some to the academy, uh, was difficult. Why? Again, because they didn't have the background like we have uh, from football, uh, and you don't have the time to do it 50 years. You want to do it in in a range of 10 years. So we educate them. Sometimes it was difficult for them because the mentality, and they are used to not to work with all respect, but football to, to grow football players is, uh, is hard work. Uh, it needs dedication and commitment. Uh, that's a difficult thing. So there were always Qataris uh, involved, but at the coaching side was always less. All the manager. The managers of the teams, and the team managers, they were all Qataris, and that was great, you know, because they know more the problems and possibilities of the players than we did. Yeah. So the, the content was more with European coaches, and I worked with uh, German coaches, English coaches, Spanish coaches, Italian coaches, but also coaches from Tunisia, from Algeria, who spoke, spoke uh, Arabic, yeah, because... Uh, Okay, you can all our boys learn English, but before in the younger ages, I always had an English-speaking coach and an Arabic-speaking coach on the team. Um, and what did you, what, if you're like recruiting for a coach? What, you, what sort of qualities are you looking for in a coach? Ah, that's an interesting one because I just had a conversation with somebody who had to recruit many coaches in another country, and he said, "How did you do this?" Because I was also uh, my responsibility was uh, coaching uh, recruitment for the academy. Well, first of all, if I talked to a person, I was wondering if I was able to see him doing it. And uh, that I never started with asking him questions about his football uh, environment, but more about what kind of person it is. Because if you work in a country like Qatar, you know, you're far away from your family. Some take your family, sometimes you don't take your family, sometimes your family's in Qatar and you have to travel with the team for a month. Uh, as a person, are you able to do this? Eh? Uh, to work with this kind of commitment? Uh, I can tell you, not everybody Everybody wants it, but not everybody can do it. It's, uh, you have to be a special person. Uh, and uh, yeah, you, you start asking questions to see what kind of person it is. Uh, can he deal with, you know? Uh, I don't know what your experience is, but I work with a lot of coaches who yeah, you know, I believe in this, I believe in that, I believe, you know, this is my philosophy. Yeah, it's, if you work in a big organization, it's not your philosophy, you have to work by the academy or by, by the country's philosophy. And, you know, a coaches are very stubborn and they want to do their thing, but then you know, my, my, you know, you need to follow the academy structure, our philosophy, our methodology, our minutes, in there you bring your training, but uh, it's all for a higher goal to achieve, and not your own goal. And, did, and so, for instance, your coaches, do, did they work from a syllabus 
How much freedom did they have in session design? What, what, what did that look like? Uh, you know, in the, the, the beginning when we started, it was not there, but uh, that was 2008. But little by little, we uh, we started building it. Uh, and we worked at, at the end. We worked with Soccer Lab. I don't know if you're familiar with the system. Okay. It's a big software program, uh, and it was customized. You know, if if money is not an issue, you bring in this company, and it was customized to all our needs. Uh, so we worked every week uh, in a methodology with different phases, uh, and then every uh, every two weeks we did, uh, for example, we worked uh, with one with one team for two weeks, and then we changed, and it went from possession to uh, progressive play or to finishing. Uh, so every week it was given. Uh, and then per age group also we had on Thursday, which was the last day of the week in the Northern country, we had a meeting with every age group on the, the, the most important points on this phase for this age group, what we want to achieve. Then the training was executed, then the exact minutes uh, is before the week we said, okay, so many minutes, but you never know what's happened in, uh, in training. So then they had to uh, file the exit minutes, so at the end of the year we had a quite clear view about what we did at the year. And we could uh, discuss and change, but at the end, you know, it was about uh, the football directors who, uh, I was one of the directors, I worked with a Spanish colleague, is, uh, is how we uh, achieved the, the next things. Is that making a little bit sense? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Interesting. So, then just, just so it, it, it was not the freedom of the coach to do what he wanted to do. It was pretty lined uh, what to do. And uh, as directors, we were always on the pitch to, to adjust the coaching or to help the coaches to understand which way we wanted to go. Okay, so then just briefly, and just tell, I know you're a busy man, I won't keep you that long, uh, Ed, just, uh, just, just, just tell a little bit about then how it works now with uh, Total Football Consultancy, your consultancy firm. You're, you're working at FC Lugano, are you just going in there supporting in the consultancy role or are you managing their, their academy? Yeah, well, so, you know, when I came back in 2017, when I was came, coming back, I was asking myself, well, I was in Qatar, I was asking myself, what do I want to do? I want to stay to the World Cup or I want to do some uh, some other things. And I still wanted to, to you know, there's a lot of things to develop in football. That's why I choose to come back and to have my own consultancy uh, company uh, and to help clubs or associations to, you know, to fine-tune their, their, their goals and their aims. So what I do is I come in and I analyze the situation in the club. We advise them uh, how to uh, improve. And from there on, we also uh, work on the methodology, which is based on the brain central learning. And, uh, yeah, you know, uh, coach the coaches, having discussions with the owners about which pathways they have to go to describe the structures. So all kinds of things, uh, depending on, on, on where the, the organization is at the moment. And sometimes it's very on detail, and sometimes it's very global, because the club is not so far. But my advantage is I've been in many projects where I saw the first step, and I saw the result at the end line. And I worked on uh, the highest, well, to my idea, it was just one of the tools who has the highest rate of homegrown players to be a professional player. 
Yeah. So you take all those experience and then, uh, you know, uh, but the most important thing for me is when I come somewhere is not to tell what to do, but uh, I have always a lot of questions. And maybe that's something for, for, um, for your listeners or people is ask yourself sometimes if you you give more answers to the people you work with or you are asking more questions. Uh, I found out that asking questions is more uh, more valuable and uh, is, is, is where you really dig into something deep than in uh, giving the answers. And then because sometimes the truth is different. And about yourself, Ed, what do you do for... How do you keep fresh with ideas and professional development? What do you do to... To, to keep that going yeah well in Holland but I think that's also England, you have to have some uh, every years, uh, years you have to get points for, for your coaching licenses uh, so that's that you need to fulfill to go to courses but when I'm in Holland because I work outside but when I'm in Holland I'm visiting a lot of times many academies all kinds of different from different clubs professional clubs to have a talk because I know all the people to discuss to see where are they, what's new, what are they aiming for, what are their problems. We are very open-minded about that here and uh, we all want to help the small country to be back on a high stage again. Uh, now, the other hand, that's why I choose to work with Michel. Michel is a very interesting guy and so many, uh, so many research in his head and new things that, uh, you know, I really, I, f I feel like I started all over again two years ago. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's great to do, and uh, I, I would advise all coaches, look out of your comfort zone to, and, and ask yourself critical questions about uh, the things you're doing, if it's correct or not. And that, that's going to be my next question, you might have preempted me a little bit, but what, <laughs> what, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming coach who, who wants to try and get, get to a position like you have at the top of the game? Uh, start from thinking what with your eyes what you see when you watch a training or a game try to dig in what really is happening try to emphasize on on the player how he reacts how he walks how he solves things where are his possibilities his problems um, I you know we, we I know the technology is nowadays I come from a, from the time that we had to to dis discover everything ourselves and to really think deep. Now with the internet, you know, I feel sometimes coaches are a little bit lazy. They just go internet, they check some exercises, they put it in practice, and that's it. Sometimes I even believe that they're already tired before they go to the pitch because they were so busy to prepare the training in the computer. But at the end, if I go to see the training, I only see uh, a coaching way in, uh, we call this stage one. Um, and that, that's, that's nothing. Stage one of coaching is for us, it's like you put down the practice, you know, you let them do your uh, prepared exercises and you're happy. That's not, on every level, that's not a training session. Stage mm -hmm. one is to organize it well. Stage two is to adapt and to come up with coaching points. And stage three is to dig in and to change the organization that they have to come again out of the comfort zone to learn. Because everything you do in training is based on routine. Forget it, they never learn anything. It's, it's for us, 
we want our players to come out of the comfort zones. So uh, please, as a coach or as a manager or a director, you have to challenge yourself and have to come out of the comfort zone every day as well. Fantastic. And, and where can we find out more about yourself, Ed, and, and the brain-centered learning you've just been talking about? Well, at the moment, you can, you know, I'm uh, working more on the background in Michel's uh, philosophy. So, but if you check Michel's uh, name online and you go to Koji Training or Sensible, you even find some presentations. And uh, we do also workshops all over the world. So, if they follow Koji uh, Training and Sensible, they will find some interesting information. Fantastic. And, uh, people are really interested for clubs are also welcome to when we're in Lugano to, to come there and to, to talk with us and to see what we do. Fantastic. Or one of our clubs, eh, like Henk, is really uh, one of our model clubs and uh, with great results, uh, which are following this pathway. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to visit Genk in the next couple of months, so I'm, I'm really interested okay. to see what they're going to be doing there. Yeah, uh, you will love it. Lovely. Ed, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been really interesting. Okay. Thank you very much and I uh, hope to see you in the future. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.